uh, we're talking about eating in the sense of eating time. And um, uh, the, <clears throat> the cultures that we live in, if we go along with the culture, it will set a standard that we've been told about for, um, for many, many, many years. But they have been, there has been times when that has tried to have been changed. Uh, but basically, there's one culture that I know of that, that standardly eats four meals a day. Old uh -huh. actually eats three meals a day. Yeah. The, the four meal a day group are ones who get up early in the morning and have a meal, and then they have the, the other three at a, at a normal time. Also, some cultures, they eat. Um, late into the night. This is especially true in, in India, and in the Muslim world, they eat all night and then fast all day uh, during Ramadan. Mm. Um, so, basically, what we're getting around to talking about is that the, in the really, really primitive times, uh, eating on a particular schedule was not something that humans did, but that we have, because of our society and expectations, we have fallen into certain patterns mm -hmm. or habits. And so we eat because it's time to eat, and that, um, in, in fact, that has a whole lot to do then <clears throat> with the major change that was actually made when uh, uh, clockworks started so that we could tell what time it was and then they even have things like dinner time mm -hmm. or lunch time or uh, 12 o'clock noon is the time to stop and, and, and eat. And so um, it became mechanized. And so the body has kind of gotten in a response to that. Ah, but a normal way of living is to eat when you're hungry. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so we have actually programmed our hunger around the time to eat so that people will schedule. In fact, that's exactly what you were doing. You were saying you had a big lunch, so you intentionally skipped supper. Yeah. Or dinner. Okay. With the understanding that you told yourself that you wouldn't be hungry. Yeah. Right, which is the expectation that you wouldn't be hungry because you had a big lunch. But the, but the size of the lunch doesn't have anything much to do with the decision you made that you wouldn't be hungry at normal dinner time and therefore would intentionally skip. Uh, what do you mean by that? I mean that we actually get hungry on schedule because we tell ourselves that it's time to be hungry. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
but that hunger has a different mechanism to it when it's more natural. Basically what I'm saying is, is that we teach ourselves, we talk ourselves into being hungry. Yes. That's cultural that too. True. That's policy yep. about the paramasa. Even the time that we choose to be hungry is on a schedule that we have programmed since childhood. Isn't that amazing? Yep. It's amazing to figure that out. Why? Because now what we understand is we have a whole lot more control over our hunger. But we need to start paying attention to it directly. Rather than looking at the clock to see if I'm hungry. So just eat when you're hungry. This is in fact an old Zen coin. That the, master, the old Zen master, he sleeps when he's sleepy and he eats when he's hungry. <laughs> and that's sort of a dig at the Theravada, but the Theravada are exactly the same way, so it's really not a dig at the Theravada at all. And in fact, sleeping irregularly or at a different time. Um, sleeping as well. Uh, right, and, and eating as well. And so basically the way that the monks eat, Uh, actually, they learn to control mentally their hunger just like you did. Except that uh, the body chemistry and the body physiology uh, gets used to a different pattern or a different uh, rhythm. And that that rhythm can be controlled. And that, so that's one of the things that... Um, uh, it comes along with the monk's tradition that is based upon the Pali word Wakalabojana. And it's now one of the precepts on, in the higher precepts. It's one of the eight for the eight preceptors is Wakalabojana, Vedamani, Sakabadam, Samadhyami. And it has to do with eating food at the right time. Mm -hmm. Now, Eating food at the right time, when we actually look at the description of it in the, uh, the Vinaya, we, we, we come to understand it's not so much of the right time to eat the food, but that it has to do with the right time of gathering the food, because gathering food and eating the food are only usefully uh, associated. Mm -hmm. That it's not necessary to eat food right after it's been gathered, but that would be the habit of people that they would tell themselves, I'm, I'm going to be hungry now. Mm -hmm. And so now they, uh, and so this is the way that, that hunger begins to operate, except that even within that tradition, um, that it's, Here's the way that it was. It has more to do with when the food is actually gathered. This is the, the process of the Wakalabojana, and as we said, the connection between gathering food and eating food are, are loosely connected. But in the Vinaya, the story is, is that there was a, um, 
uh, a celebration like a fair, like a state fair or a county fair, and that this group of monks went into that environment uh, on arms round, and they got loaded down with stuff, and mm-hmm. they took it back to the to the what to the group to share it with the others, and they were criticized. Criticized. Because they were criticized because they went to gather the food at the wrong place at the wrong time. The people who were there were not just uh, and see. The reason why the monks would go in the morning was because they would take up the scraps and the stuff that was left from the evening meal of the lay people. At one time, I thought uh-huh. that the monks uh, got uh, went out in the morning because the Asian mind in India at that time was that people got up and ate really early in the morning, so the monks went at that time. No. The reality is, is that these the monks go in the morning and gather the leftovers from the evening meal of the lay people. So they were mm-hmm. eating the leftovers, and they would go. But there was something else that happened, which was very interesting, and that was when I was in uh, very eastern Cambodia. Right. As a monk, along with a bunch of other Cambodians, we went there as a group from the United States. So this is a Cambodian community that are bringing monks. Actually, there was um, the problem was starvation. They, they right. were having a drought, and this one watt in the United States sort of um, uh, uh, adopted this area. And so we got a whole boatload of rice, literally, a boatload up in northern and and brought it down the river and trucked it into this area and gave that rice out. So this was nice. the adventure that I was on. I've got a few photographs of that time. Uh, but um, the point is, is that in, at that place, the bendabout for the monks is not at the time that it is for the, uh, for the monks in Thailand who go out in the early morning. Oh. But, and the reason I did that is because I went out early in the morning into an area where there weren't no watts and wound up everybody was just gaga that this monk was out so early gathering arms and he's all by himself, barefoot on, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> and that's when it was all explained to me that, no, in this area of Cambodia, the monks go out at 11 in the morning. They go right. out at a different time of the day that basically the timing has to do with the following points. And that is, is that the monks don't go out in the afternoon in the heat of the day because that's the time when people are taking naps. Right. They also don't want to go out in the time of the day when commerce is really heavy, which is in the evening time. So uh, about four in the afternoon, Things got really busy. People were shopping and everything like that. Then they would go home and cook at night. So the monks used to go out at night, but the but the Buddha says no, it's too dangerous. You can fall into a cesspit. You can fall into a uh, a thorn bush. Uh, you can get uh, attacked by wild animals. You can get robbed. You can wander into the red light district. There's all kinds of reasons, and they're mm-hmm. listed in the sutras as to. Uh, the reason for not doing this. 
um, going out at night. And so the, uh, the tradition just wound up being in most places that, okay, they'll go in the morning and collect the, uh, the leftovers. Okay, so this is the, uh, the typical way that the monks would eat. But when they brought the food back, there's actually a, a sutta and a long story about one of the monks did not like the fact that he had to wait until the morning knowing that he would get the leftovers when all the good stuff was out uh, when people were at night. You want to go knock mm-hmm. on their door while they're eating so that they can scoop something out really easy for you. Um, and you get some of the best stuff. So uh, he didn't like that a, a bit. And and uh, the story goes is that um, he, he wouldn't talk to the Buddha about it. And they stayed separated for a long time. Mm-hmm. But then when at a particular timing, uh, the monster around him says, no, you've got to go to, to discuss this issue with the Buddha. If you don't like it, you've got to, you know, get this off your chest. And so what the Buddha said was, is that, oh, you know, this whole issue is not about when you eat, but it's when you get the food react and respond to the to the lay people but once you go out and eat you can keep the food for later and eat when you want to when you Mm -hmm. feel hungry is when you can eat but there's one more cravat that goes with that and that is is that it's not a good idea for monks to keep food overnight and there is a rule for that we don't want to keep the food overnight. Why? Because we'll get night visitors who know the food with their nostrils, mm-hmm. and so they'll come into the cootie. So if a monk is getting ready to go to sleep and he's still got food that he hadn't eaten, it's be- better to throw it out to the animals rather than having the animals come in. Mm, yeah. Okay, so that's the rule, and that's the reason for the rule is because uh, you don't want to keep the food there overnight. Yep. But other than that, when you eat is up to you, uh, but that there is a communal meal. And the communal meal is when the monks generally do it together. Like I watch someone milk, there's a communal meal at 8 in the morning, every morning. But there's also lay people who come to that. It's actually quite a big gathering. It's almost like a, a, a Buddhist church service mm-hmm. every morning about the, uh, uh, the evening time of, of the monks. It's also a good time if you want to meet a particular monk is to go there for breakfast because most of them, but not all of them do. Mm -hmm. But in fact, one of the teachers that I had, uh, Achan Lee, who spoke good English and Achan Po set me up with this guy Mm -hmm. because I would have never been able to get in touch with him on his own own because while the other monks were out at Bendabad, this monk would go to the kitchen and get and get his food there and then take it back to his cootie and he was always a real recluse a real hermit <laughs> and one day Achan Po mentioned him and then another day he says you go follow him and so mm-hmm. I followed him up into an area that I had never seen of that in that lot before and uh, there was a, a creek that we had to cross Right. And they don't. And if you uh, the you go by the path on this side, and then the path just goes by this creek here, and then it goes on up the path. 
and you look across this creek and there's no place to get on the uh, 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 to, to climb on shore. It's like, you know, bushy and all of that. Uh -huh. But in fact, it's a ford that was made intentionally. And if you walk to this other side, you can see a pathway coming back up. But you can't see the path from the other side of the creek. Uh -huh. You can only see the path once you get to that part in the, in the creek to see where to come out. That's sneaking. Yep. They did that intentionally to keep visitors from that part of the watch to leave the monks alone. Okay, so I, I learned, and there was quite a number of, of uh, uh, Kutis up there, about 15 or 20 of them. Uh, mm -hmm. And that this was where Achan Lee stayed. And uh, when I followed him, what he did was he set the food down. He didn't go to get food to eat. He went to get food for later in the day. And he just set mm -hmm. that bowl down and went into, uh, with the lid on it, and went into the, into the kuti. So this is kind of, over time, I picked up this, this way of doing things, or this understanding that it really does have to do a lot with eating when you're hungry rather than because of the time of it. Because most Westerners, when they hear all the monks, they eat once away. Well, yeah, but that's the communal meal. A lot mm -hmm. of monks then say, well, I can do that. And so it's on their own when they... Um, there was a time when I was a new monk that Achan Po would intentionally show up with apples or with bananas or something about noontime. All right. So he wanted to make sure that I had enough food, and I That's know nice. where he, he got that. I mean, he was a really royal teacher. He was number mm. one high-quality uh, uh, looking after a Western monk. Um, so the point is, is that we learn to control the hunger so that the hunger is no longer an issue. We... It's almost like that uh, when a cat, when a, in in childhood, when a child comes to mom and says, "Mom, I'm hungry," it's almost like an emergency. Mm, yeah. For for the mom, that she's got to do something. Uh, but no, you really don't have to. It depends upon the cultural situation that you're in, and that um, one of the things that we could do with our children. Uh, instead of jumping into emergency mode when they say they're hunger, hungry, is to ask them about it. To start awesome. a conversation. To dialogue with them. Well, where, where do you feel hungry? What, what is it? How do right. you know that this feeling, this sensation in the body, how do you know that that's hungry? Yeah. Okay. Is, is it in fact that you're thinking about food and because you're thinking about food, you want the food, and so you naturally become hungry right then. Or yep. is there actual real hunger? So that's another part, uh, point that I, I don't talk very much about, but it's certainly a good idea, and that is just to don't think about food. Use that as one of those items that you're going to make that list of what, what kind of thoughts are wholesome and mm -hmm. what thoughts are not wholesome and thinking about food is not wholesome why because yep. if you think about it you'll want it and now you yep. want something you don't have <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you've got to go get it 
So it's better not to think about food. That when when thoughts of food come in, just push them push them out. Kick them out, yeah. Uh, and and that way, by think by pushing out the, the thoughts about food, we'll learn to control our hunger much better. That in fact, many times people are hungry because they're thinking about food, but they're thinking about food because they've already programmed themselves that this is yep. the time to eat. Yeah, that's why when you're consumed with something, you'll forget to eat sometimes because you're not thinking about it. Precisely. You just proved my point. Yeah. <laughs> if we don't think about food, which means we get absorbed and really into some project or something, and, and as long as we stay absorbed in that project, we can leave all, all kinds of things. We don't get tired. We don't get sleepy. We don't get hungry. We don't get up. Uh, um, unhappy or angry we don't want anything we're just doing our thing yeah computer programmers get like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but sometimes musicians get that way just sawing that pony <laughs> and playing yeah. the jump, you know <laughs> and so right we can keep our mind focused uh, through training well, with Anapanasati, we've got a whole new world. It's a, it's a big, bright world. It's not like uh, just music and just saw in the pony. Or just, that's an old joke, by the way. <laughs> <from my pen. laughs> um, so um, with Anapanasati, we've got, uh, remember the analogy that I talked about with keeping the monkey mind into just one tree? Yeah. Okay, now we have that one tree, the wholesome part of the forest. Yep. That we're going to stay in. And by staying in that, the tree of hunger is over there. Don't jump into the uh -huh. hunger tree by thinking yep. about food. Don't jump into the tree over there of uh, 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 bad feelings because of an argument or whatever. So this is a way that we begin to keep the mind, um, let us say, own target or uh, sustained, that we can apply it and sustain it in the sense that we can keep it into a world that's worth watching. So mm -hmm. now that means that over time that your blood sugar levels will, will begin to get irregular because yeah. you're paying more attention to when, when you eat based upon what's real hunger versus what's imagined hunger. Mm -hmm. Now we have yet a new thing to play with, and that is the states of mind that we go through and the conditions of mind based upon not just the oxygen that we have, but also the blood sugar that's based upon what right. we've been eating. Yep. Because that's what you were expressing is, is that, hey, I woke up and my blood sugar was different than I normally experienced, normally used to. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it feels really weird, I think. It's it's um it's not something I'm used to. <laughs> right. Okay. Well basically um part of the practice in uh Anapanasati or basically the whole of the Dhamma is going on a grand adventure. 
<laughs> that he uses in the sense of investigation. That these are things that need to be investigated. Part of the grand adventure is to watch the states of mind that we have with various levels of blood sugar and various levels of oxygen. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just the way that, that uh, race car uh, mechanics fine-tune the engines of uh, the race cars. Yep. So when you're fine-tuning it like that, you've got a different intention than uh, regular street where the little old lady is going to keep the thing going, okay? Yep. With race cars and, and uh, motorcycles, why do motorcyclists go gun, 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 gun like that? Why did, and everybody does it, or at least that seems to be the habit. The answer is because those motorcycles are so fine-tuned that you can't let them drop below a certain um, um, uh, RPM level because if they're down below about four or 500 RPM, they won't, they won't idle anymore. They'll stop running because you've got oh. um, uh, the wrong mixture for that RPM. That You've got a mixture in there for for at the top end where you're running it at seven or eight or nine thousand rpm back in the 60s but we had them at seven but anyway yeah uh, it, motorcycle maintenance you know zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance I've heard of that all, all, all through that in the sense of yeah we got to fine-tune that engine to get it in top performance and we need to work with our own minds that way also. So now that we've added one ingredient, which is the oxygen and getting that going, we also can start to pedal and play and understand things better with our blood sugar based upon when's the last time that we were eating and what did we eat. Mm-hmm. For instance, are you using all protein? So that should have a different uh, thing than if you're having all donuts. So you have a, a <laughs> you have a dozen donuts for lunch and then... The next day, you have a, a, uh, um, uh, a health uh, 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 protein shake or something like that. And watch <laughs> the difference. Yeah. Notice the difference in the way that uh, uh, the blood chemistry and the, and the mind operates. This is all part of that grand investigation or the grand adventure of life. Is what, what is it like? And all of it has the quality of developing the skills. The more that we uh, are in tune with the states of mind that we're in, in fact, this is actually in the sutta, in the uh, in the uh, Sutta, to be mm-hmm. uh, to start watching the mind, to see is it bright, is it dull, is it mm-hmm. sharp, is it uh, uh, focused, is it tingly alive? You know, all of these various states that the mind can have. It has to do with this oxygen fuel ratio mix. This mm-hmm. is actually discussed right there in the sutras. Yeah, that's quite incredible. And so um, we can put that together and and really begin to understand the nature of the mind and how things operate. And so you can then make uh, wiser choices. You can then decide that, um, because that's what I did long ago, the decision that I made is I'm going to, uh, um, you know, let hunger be the guide, but from time to time, Pam will ask me, are you hungry, are you hungry, and I'll feel sorry for her if I didn't say, 
yes, I'm hungry now. Uh-huh. So, uh, uh, generally, uh, we begin to learn to manage the hunger so that it's mm-hmm. not an it's not an issue anymore in the sense that we need food. No, we don't need food. But we I have been trained to, to eat three times a day. And so yep. if we miss a meal, we'll think about missing the meal and then we'll feel bad. You don't have to feel bad because you miss a meal. You miss yeah, a meal because of some clock. You didn't miss a meal. You just didn't <laughs> You didn't go to the scheduled meal. Yeah. Come to think of it, I'm not sure I even know what real hunger feels like. Nor do you really know whether it's that terrible or not, then. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> okay. Now, going way off base, it sounds like. Um, imagine that because of the normal greed of the normal human being and the normal mind, that food becomes a, uh, a very important item within a prison. In a prison, yes. that, that food is like the only thing that anybody gets in in the daytime. Uh, you're, you're breaking up quite a lot. <coughs> hey, Damarato, you are breaking up. Okay. All right, I've just uh, closed out a program. I think it should uh, die in a moment. All right. In fact, It's raining really hard. I can see it, but I can't hear it too much. Okay. How is it breaking up now? No, no, not at all. You were talking about food in prison. Yes, so we were just starting to talk about food in prison. Where um, one of the points, for instance, of dominance is when the new guy comes in and it's lunchtime and one of the big dudes in the corner is going to come over to his uh, to that table and grab food off of his plate. Mm-hmm. Okay, and things like that. A wise old man, if, if, he, if a wise old man went to prison, what he would do is he would use the food as a tool to become friends with the meanest, toughest guys in the prison by actually Mm -hmm. offering them, here, you can have a whole tray. Yeah. Right? Because he's wise enough to know that this, the hunger that he has in this meal is nothing compared to what's going to be happening later. And it's good to have some, some friends in there. And so we begin to use that as a commodity. Okay. But that means that we have to uh, be able to know that we can manage and live yep. without, without the food. And yet everyone else in the prison is just, that's the number one item of, uh, of, of existence. Yep. Uh, that in fact, um, 
one of the things that I have heard, and it just sounds so crazy, uh, there is and has been in that, in fact, in Asia for many, many years, noodle packages. Some of them are actually brought in a paper cup and others are just in a plastic wrap. But yeah. those noodles have become quite common in the West. And now I understand that this is in some prisons, the commodity. Oh, really? Right. The existence of wealth is how many of these packets of noodles do you have stacked <laughs> up? No way. And I think maybe because of it's easy to get food items like that into the prison. But yep. food becomes actually uh, the, uh, the currency. Mm. And all of that has to do with built upon the greed for the food or the, uh, the desire to avoid hunger that they don't even know is mental anyway. Yeah. And so when you think about it, you can say, you know, I could, I could easily give this to the dogs or I could easily give this to. And so we begin to look at what's going on with each plate full. With each plate, well, not just each plate full, but each bite that comes out of the plate. You start to look at that. Is this enough? Have I eaten <laughs> enough already? Uh... Many of us, and, and this was true for me in spades, that as children we're told to eat everything on our plate, that, that the parent defines how much we're supposed to eat. Yep. And we're not supposed to leave leftovers. Yep. I remember my mom even told me at one time, what do you think about the starving kids of India? But I pulled it back on her. <laughs> I handed her my plate and I said, here, mail this one. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't pull that Indian trick about how starving Indians. But anyway, um, that's the way that we train our kids. And so we often overeat. Yep. Uh, in, in some traditions, though, it's exactly the opposite of that. And that is that if you clean your plate, especially if you're an adult guest in a, in a home, if you clean your plate, that will obligate uh, uh, the lady of the house to go put more food on your plate. That you have to, in some cultures, leave something on the plate to signify that you're finished eating. To show that you've had enough. To show that you've had enough. Oh. That's interesting. Because if you eat everything on your plate, you're going to get more. So it depends upon the culture. But these are two different cultural positions that, uh, that we can look to. The culture that we were raised in was eat your grub, kid. Yep. They would even schedule it to where if you don't eat this, you can't have that. <laughs> yep. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether the kid likes the food or doesn't like the food he has to eat what he's told you to have eat to eat in order it, yeah. to get what he does want right so this is one of the things that we do with our children thinking that we're giving them good advice like oh don't you enjoy these green peas that I made you eat <laughs> <laughs> 
won't you be eating green beans the rest of your life because I'm standing <laughs> here making you eat these green beans? <laughs> no, in fact, in that kind of thing, the aversion for the peas, in fact, may uh, continue along, but if the parent made no big deal because the kid didn't eat green peas, next year he might eat them. Yeah. That's so true. And so, and so we make these rules about things and how we're supposed to be eating, and that without um, a deep investigation, we carry all of that stuff right into our adult lives, right through life. Yeah. Yeah, because you're not investigating what's actually going on. You're just mm -hmm. kind of going along. Going along and keeping the aversion. So uh, you can be sitting down at, at some fancy dinner at a fancy hotel where it's a set meal, and there are those green peas are on your plate, and you don't eat them. And they may be the best green peas in town <laughs> because of the chef, you know. But... No, we're not going to eat them, or if we do, we're reminded of what we thought about them when we were a kid. Yep, exactly. And so we, and so instead of eating the peas that are on this plate in this moment, with the textures and flavors that they have right now, we actually are sitting here eating the peas in our mind instead. The yeah, old... that's a good way of putting it. So... Um, this is the investigation, now that you're mentioning this, that you're beginning to see, wait a minute, I didn't eat last night, and because I wasn't hungry, and I said, wow, you've got so much material there to work with. Yeah. This yeah, because it does feel really different. Pardon? Because it does feel really different, so there's a lot going on to pay attention to, and notice mm -hmm. a lot going on with food and a lot going on with thoughts about food and if you don't think about food yeah. then you don't get hungry generally and if you do get hungry what does it look like what does it feel like why is it that I want to get rid of this now there's why is it I want to get rid of this yeah, that's interesting there's one thing that more, that's going further with that and that, and that is, is that uh, there's a certain kind of metabolism or homeostasis that a body gets into when we're an adult. And that can be, uh, uh, the body can be very thin, it can be average, or it can be overweight. And mm -hmm. generally the overweight that we have uh, comes from the bad diet and the bad decisions that we have been making all along. And mm -hmm. so going on a diet winds up being a ferocious endeavor for many people. That's yeah. why it tends to be a failure. But there are some things that, that can be do, uh, used as, as hooks for that. And one of them has to do with the hunger. Mm -hmm. To go ahead and allow yourself to get hungry because part of what's going on with the feelings and sensations of hunger is the mechanism has now gone into reverse. It's like the, the, the locomotive is backing up. Or that the, uh, uh, the process of storing is now gathering. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we when we're in this kind of state, if we're watching what's going on, we can say, "Darn it, that that hunger is actually beneficial. I'm going to be able to lose weight because I've got that sensation of hunger." <laughs> Yeah, My, that's what a good boy am I. Right, I can handle that <laughs> hunger. That hunger is nothing. That hunger yeah. doesn't, doesn't matter anymore. That in fact is it's, uh, it's no longer a feeling to be avoided. In some cases, it's a feeling that we want to actually enjoy being in charge of. Mm-hmm. And so this is another quality about friendship. We want to make friendships with everything. And hunger is a really good one to get friends with. Because, in fact, you spent your whole life avoiding hunger. You've been eating according to the clock. You've been eating actually yep. more often than you needed to eat just to make sure that you weren't going to get hungry. Yeah, exactly. And then there's also, you know, eating for entertainment as well. Like... Mm-hmm when you go out to eat at nice places and stuff like that. Or if you go out for dessert. Yeah. I have been out to eat fewer times on this island than the number of years that I've lived here. Whoa. Huh. No way. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's that's um, surprising. I didn't. I didn't Especially think. Especially since this is a tourist island and and it's rich with restaurants. And yeah, hotels. I bet. Huh. So but I think generally when I've gone out is because I've been talked into it. It's an event okay. or something that I got to go do or, or whatnot like that. Some event. The hunger thing, it's like the wanting to get rid of it. That's like with all sensual desire that we only, you know, we, we desire things and we think that will make us happy. But the thing is, the... Getting the thing we desire is only done to get rid of that desire. So the desire is actually bad. Bingo! <laughs> Bingo, exactly. If we desire something, that desire is in fact a form of suffering. It's an unsatisfaction. And we think that we can bring ourselves back to a state of homeostasis or back to the state of satisfaction by getting the object of our desire. Yeah. Guess what? No, it doesn't work that way. You just, just want, to get... you just find some new object of that desire. Yeah, you do, don't you? Most people do when they do it asleep. So then you just want to do the same thing with the desire, just see what it's like if you just let it be there. Mm-hmm. Or investigate it. Investigate Not just let it, it yeah. be there, but investigate, investigate, investigate. And part of the investigation of it 
means that it we're dealing with it completely differently than by just letting it be there. Being there, just letting it be there, or putting up with it, is in fact uh, the the loser's mentality, yeah, the wrong of attitude, the wrong yeah. view, or the wrong uh, uh, loser's mentality. The investigator. Think about it like this. In the police force, the investigator, he's pretty high dude. He's not the street-walking kind of policeman. He's, <laughs> he's the inspector. He's the investigator. He's the detective. He's the one who they bring in to really get down to what's going on. So he's the champion. So when we're in investigative mode, that's a different attitude than just putting up with. Mm-hmm. And so if you get yourself into a state of hunger, you can be in one minute, I'm the champion of this, I'm losing weight, and then just a second later we can say, oh, well, i got to go get something to eat, I feel bad. And <laughs> you wake up again and say, no, I don't have to get something to eat, I like this state right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... um. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's it's very interesting. And so when people fail at a diet, they've always failed at a diet with something like, but I'm so hungry. Well, yeah, maybe, but uh, even if the intention is, is to get rid of the hunger, let's do that wisely also. Let's not do whatever we've been doing to get rid of the hunger. Ah. Oh. But let's yeah. do something very wise about getting rid of the hunger. An example of that is drink a half a gallon of water. That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> That's <laughs> a good thing. Or um, maybe a, um, uh, a protein shake. Yeah. Uh, uh, or bulk. These are various mm-hmm. things like uh, um, an, an apple. Uh, but anything that's that's hard work. Yeah. Anything that's hard work to do. So an example of that would be like crabs. Oh yeah. That's because hard work. It takes a lot of effort and and pulling the things apart or, or chewing on it and chewing and chewing and chewing. That will put our minds focused on that rather than focusing on the stomach or the, or the taste because the taste mm-hmm. is I want more, I want more, I want more. And yep. so these are things that we can do in, in that regard um, about um, being able to control what's really going on because mm-hmm. we've already learned how to control the breathing. Now we can learn to control some of these bodily sensations and, and hunger is one that can be dealt with. Yeah. It can. Yeah. Up. So go ahead and let yourself get really hungry naturally. And every time that you get hungry, you can say, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to think about food. I want to go do something else. Let me sit here and be satisfied. And then when the hunger gets so big that you have to pay attention to it, now investigate. Look at it. That is interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
I want to say I'm going to try that, but I don't know if I will. <laughs> well, you'll have to now that I've mentioned it. That's true. Now I have to try it. Mm-hmm. There'll come a moment when you'll say, wait a minute, I'm not going to eat that. I'm going to investigate the hunger instead. Yeah. All right. Let's, yeah. let's try it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a really good topic. Thanks for bringing this up. Thanks for thanks for the talk. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Yep. See you next time. See you, Del Morato. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>